Hey there. We at Blue Wire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire pods, search for us on iTunes or check out bluewirepods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Welcome to the OBR Newswire Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Burns, coming to you on Thursday, what is now May 7th, as we are going to address some really good topics with our guests today. Before we get over to our guest, I want to give a shout out to two of our sponsors, Blue Chew, the company proudly helping with male performance, giving you options that are discreet and helpful at the end of the day for those who need it. Using the promo code BLUEWIRE, you can get discreet packaging delivered right to your door, Free of cost for your first order. All you got to do is pay the $5 shipping using that promo code BLUEWIRE. Also, betonline.ag, 24-hour-a-day poker, blackjack, among many other things that you can gamble on, including, uh, but not limited to, Madden 20 simulations, the weather, the stock market survivor, many other shows going on uh, at this current time. So take advantage of the opportunity they have with a great welcome bonus that you can get and use pretty quickly. And um, that is one of the more effective bonuses in the online gambling market using, again, the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. Take advantage of that offer. So we have a fun guest. Brent Sobleski stops by for his weekly visit. We're going to talk about a couple different topics, specifically focusing on uh, the Browns' defensive secondary, which I think is going to be of particular interest in the coming year, and a couple other fun topics as well. Brent writes at Bleacher Report. He's going to start doing more for the OBR here. He's wrote his top 30 prospects in the 2021 draft last week. Keep an eye out for more of his content. But uh, let's get over to our interview with Brent Sobleski. So, Sobo, as we dive into looking at a couple of important Browns topics this week regarding the rookie class, I wanted to get your opinion on this this topic, and it could go in a myriad of different directions based on your experience scouting players and, and noticing how their transitions go to the NFL from tackle to guard most often. Um, I'm curious with Jedrick Wills, your thoughts on the on the topic of of this this has been brought up to me several different times when I've broken him down is is would you ever consider you know with Jack Conklin's background as a left tackle and how he came into the league would you ever consider making Jack Conklin your left tackle hoping that transition goes a little smoother than maybe Jedrick Wills who's never played left tackle before is is it has it crossed your mind to say maybe that route is better than completely making Jedrick switch sides and sort of what are the different avenues for Jedrick if things don't go all too well at left tackle well first of all no it never crossed my mind once and you know it's only been two weeks since we've gotten past the NFL draft Jake and, and it feels like it's already been two months the way we picked this draft apart because of the circumstances of everything that's happening for everybody globally and just the fact that so much emphasis has been placed on the event even more so than what we're usually accustomed to and one of the things that we're that's been picked apart to degrees and have many misnomers on social media within certain writing is how this transition should occur so first of all the reason I state no emphatically is because I see no reason whatsoever to force two players to make a transition. Now, some people will say, well, Will's going to be making a transition. He's been a right tackle since high school. Yes, that's correct. But at the same time, 
no matter what he does will be a transition for him because he's making the leap from the collegiate level into the professional ranks, which is not an insignificant feat. This is something that's going to be very difficult for him, not necessarily making the switch from left to right, which isn't a given by any means, but just being able to play at the same level to be the same consistent technician. He was at Alabama against superior athletes and the type of type of defenders he's going to face on a weekly basis, not only, against opposition, but when he lines up each and every week or every day, excuse me, with Miles Garrett and Adrian Claiborne, two legitimate pros, pros and what proven pass rushers. So from a technique perspective, one of the things that's been irking me the most is that I, I can constantly get the response while he, while he protected Tua Tagovailoa's blindside that legitimately has nothing to do with his actual technique and how he's approaching that the set is going to be the same. He gets nice depth because he's, he has he has a good 45-degree step right off the snap, and he's very quick out of his stance. That's the same thing you're going to want on the left side. And it's not necessarily whether he was covering to his blind side or the other Alabama quarterback's blind side. That's just the type of player he is. And so there's really no bearing on him being, quote-unquote, on to his blind side, basically, and uh, how it's going to transition in the left tackle. The difference really is switching up the current technique he's grown accustomed to over the last uh, six, seven years playing right tackle from high school all the way through left tackle. And so when you make that transition, at 20 years old, you know, the muscle memory shouldn't be as ingrained as it would be for a Jack Conklin who's only played right tackle since he's come into the NFL, who's only played and gotten used to that, those steps in that side of the field against NFL competition. He should be able to slide over, readjust, and again, it's going to be difficult. It is not easy. I know Joe, what Joe Thomas said, that it could take three, four months, but we have to keep this in context, right? This is Joe Thomas. Everything came relatively easy for Joe Thomas because he was he's an all-world talent. He is a Hall of Famer. He is one of the best left tackles to ever play the game. For normal offensive linemen, this is not something that is always uh, surmountable. So I've had not only former NFL linemen, I've also had – guys that have helped train uh, Jedrick in, in his technique that says it's going to take time and it's going to be hard and it's going to be something he's going to have to get used to. But the nice part is, considering the circumstances, this is the only thing he's got to concentrate on. is sitting in there day one and working on his, uh, his deep set from a left-handed stance. And to me, that's going to be the one positive here and why you shouldn't work to move both Conklin and Wills coming up from the collegiate ranks when you can only only have to make one transition with Wills. I dig it. I fall in line with the same uh, thought process. I know that some people have shared their opinion otherwise, but you're making two issues there possibly when you could really just kind of focus and narrow it down and specify one guy who has to spend extra time on certain things. And um, I think it'll, it'll ultimately be okay. And like you mentioned on social media, Twitter, that if it doesn't pan out as a left tackle, you know, and this is not something you're saying is going to happen, but there's a route to, to playing inside as a guard potentially if it doesn't work out at tackle. But that's a completely line of thought and different discussion for another day. But it is something that would be on the table. I want to talk to you quickly about a piece you wrote at Bleacher Report, um, which I'd urge you guys to read it if you could, is the idea of every team's most impactful rookie in 2020. Um, without giving away too much, uh, I know because we want people to ultimately read that article, but I, I do. I am interested on in your thoughts on the Browns and which 
which player you think impacts this season the most, and it could be who we were just talking about. I'll let you have the stage. Well, it's it's not Wills, and the reason I'm, I'm not I didn't include Wills as my selection for the Cleveland Browns is because of that transition. And furthermore, it usually takes offensive uh, linemen a little bit longer to ease into the to the professional ranks and play at a high level than it does other positions. And so I started looking at the rest of the draft class. Who can be the one that steps in from day one and legitimately changes the way the Browns can game plan? And that person is very simple to me. It's in Grant Delpit in round two. Yes, we know all the concerns with the missed tackles. We're talking 20 missed tackles last year. Was it 15 the year before? He had the ankle injury. But at the same time, his real value isn't necessarily derived from flying up and playing the playing the alley and being a run stuffer in the box. What you want necessarily, what you want from him is what Andrew Barry discussed at length recently um, with Ian Rappaport. So I'll give credit uh, for uh, route sheet and friends in that podcast, because I was interested to hear what Barry had to say and how they envision Grant Delpit, where the value is. And Jake, you know, this, following a lot of the same people we do we're we're in very similar circles when it comes to the football discussion we have and how the value today is in in your ability to affect the passing game and that's where grant delpit really held a high standard for the cleveland browns and his ability to not only be a strong safety or free safety or big nickel or cover the slot that versatility to match up against tight ends maybe even slot receivers or play deep third deep half being instinctive ball hawk back there and his ability to in recognition uh just playing that aspect of the game can really change what cleveland does because as good as anderson dejo has been throughout his career he's not he's not a schlub this is a guy that's been in the league a long time that is a veteran that can be a good voice within that room specifically but he can't he can't do quite the same things Delpit can from a physical aspect. When you look at what Grant Delpit, I was joking around draft weekend, and I went back and I had an old mock draft from right around the beginning of the year, and I had the Browns selecting Delpit with a top ten selection. <laughs> so, I mean, a year ago, you're looking at Grant Delpit and his skill set as a first rounder, and, and not just a first rounder, but a high first rounder. And that injury and those missed tackles really caused him to plummet in this year's draft class, but the things that he does extremely well, Cleveland values a lot. And so when he can step in from the lineup day one, hopefully, and play that back end and be able to do those things from multiple different looks and, and, and switch places back and forth with Carl Joseph, who, by the way, is a fantastic safety if he's healthy. And that's really been the bugaboo with him. You really get this um, positionless safeties and you're looking for a lot of those guys in today's NFL because you want to be able to provide different looks play different sub packages and not be in a place where you're constantly facing mismatches and that's the type of player you're getting with Grant Delpit that he can step in immediately and be that guy that can erase some of those mismatches can erase some of the mistakes and he can make plays on the back end hence why to me he's going to be the greatest impact player for the from the Browns rookie class at least this fall Whenever we have football. <laughs> yeah, whenever we do. Yeah, I think that it's it's always nice as a secondary to uh, to avoid having players in that give things away. I think that that's ultimately really important. Quarterbacks don't see a certain player on the field and know, okay, they're going to run this coverage at a very high percentage when this guy enters the field. You know, that that's especially interesting when I was talking to cover the cover one guys about Kevin Johnson is that 
when they played him in the slot, they ultimately used a ton of uh, trail man technique in third and medium, third and long situations, and he gave away a lot of coverage. And then I saw some of his cover three snaps, and I'm like, okay, I think that, that could be something that they could use him a little bit more of, too, in the nickel. So how they use Kevin Johnson, how they use Grant Delpit down in the slot when they put those guys down there, whether big nickel or true nickel, um, depending on whatever they end up using sub-packages-wise, it will be fascinating because Grant Delpit, like you said, uh, Sobo can, can handle those different responsibilities, right? He can cover tight ends. He can cover yeah. uh, a certain – uh, type of receiver he can handle in the slot, and they'll they'll manage that week to week. So it will be fun to, like you said, have a positionless defensive back group who can come in and do a bunch of different things. Well, I, if I could to build on that idea, just because I'm interested now, what we're talking about it, looking at the way that Joe Woods could eventually build this defense. And I know you've done a lot of studies on it and how he likes to disguise his coverages. And it's something we talked a little bit behind the scenes about, and with with the ability with a Grant Delpit. You can utilize him similarly to what Arizona could eventually do with Isaiah Simmons. So let me use an example you mentioned, trying to disguise with sub-packages. So if you have a Delpit in as a sub-package linebacker, but all of a sudden you're buzzing him out to the slot in coverage, that's a difficult read for the quarterback from pre to post now. And it, it allows you to do more as a defense, and that's what could be really interesting with the way that the secondary is now comprised, because yes, Kevin Johnson does have that experience play of the slot, but he's, he came into the league as an outside cornerback played that initially before getting more opportunities with Buffalo this past year. And so when you have guys like that, that you can move back and forth and in different places and with different coverages, it makes you more versatile and far better overall from a defensive perspective. That's why when you look at a team like the Los Angeles chargers, they're arguably the best secondary in the league but you have Derwin James. You now have Chris Harris. You know, you have these guys that are in Casey Hayward um, that can step in and do multiple different things at a high level, and that's what makes them so effective because they don't have to consistently substitute guys off the field to bring in others to play certain roles, and that's really the name of the game in today's passing league. I'm with you. I think it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how the Browns handle the slot in general. Like you, like you said, Kevin Johnson's been an outside corner um, for most of his career. He's only had the, the last year was the most snaps he's had in the slot with 105. And I, how the Browns mm-hmm. attack the slot is going to be fascinating because Denzel Ward has some traits that can play in there. Uh, we obviously talking about Delpit, who has you know experience playing in that situation too. So it's going to be fascinating. It's one of the things I'm most interested in, and why I think that they could still ultimately add to that position with some guys who are still kind of floating around on the market out there at that position too. Well, let me flip the script on you real quick, Jake, because this is something that was interesting to me. When they went through day three of the draft, were you surprised, as I was, that they did not address nickel corner specifically? Oh, absolutely. I thought it was a a position that they still thought they had to add somebody to. I thought they liked Kevin Johnson was in, in what Kevin Johnson brought obviously from his background is the ability to uh, to play both inside and out, not somebody who's limited to only playing outside where they think they have a couple guys outside they like. Um, you know, based on them not making a selection at that spot, like a Meek Robertson or whoever uh, that was floating around had the opportunity to be selected, uh, my guess is that they think they have the people here to handle it or they think they can fi- find a veteran, um, you know, Logan Ryan or somebody late here who can handle that position for them. And, and that that – to me, when they didn't make that selection, I've had to have more conversations with people about, okay, who are they going to 
project this position to be? Because it's less certainty because they don't have anybody who's handled it full time. Even TJ Carey had at least a track record of handling that position with with mixed results, but at least had a record at the position. They don't really have anybody. So now it's like, okay, there's going to be projection with this role. Who can project to that position um, consistently and why? And I still think there's a there's a level of mystery going on there. Do you know what intrigues me about it? And the, the people might think I'm weird with this comparison, considering what we now see with their secondary, the t- type of players that they're adding to their defense. This is who they remind me of. And I want to take an analogy from a different sport. Jim Beheim's 2-3 defense at Syracuse. Long and lean, baby. Shut down passing lanes. And that's really the type of athlete that they're looking for. Young, athletic, and long. Because that way they can potentially get their hands on more balls and make it more difficult for opposing quarterbacks to find those open spaces or at least close them down and make them tighter and more difficult for those types of throws to improve the secondary overall. And I'm, I'm fascinated with the group because it's a bunch of guys who should be really hungry to prove themselves. You know, Denzel's got a, a big prove-it year here in year three of his rookie deal where he's got to stay healthy and keep playing well when he's on the field. Greedy has to bounce back in coverage this year, continue to prove his worth. And then, you know, Grant Delpit wants to shut everybody up about tackling and all those other things and prove that he was worth a pick, <laughs> like you said, that top ten pick that many thought he could be after 2018. And then, you know, Carl Joseph and Sandejo are – are hungry, and then people forget about Sheldrick Redwine, another young man who's going into year two has been forgotten about for for no illegitimate reason, but he's going to be hungry too. So it's a nice group of players that should be very passionate about finding a role, finding a way to impact the football game, and we should be excited about that. So, um, yeah, good stuff, Sobo, man. I appreciate it. No, thanks for having me. As always, I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for joining us, guys. We really appreciate you tuning in on this Thursday. Hope everybody has a great day. Continue to get over to the YouTube page. Check out today's video, which will be some quick little videos that sort of tie into John Stephenson's breakdown of Jacob Phillips. We'll have a little bit of that up on the YouTube channel. Subscribing there is always great. Keep up on all the Film Room content we have at the OBR. And then, once again, subscribing and giving um, you know reviews are greatly appreciated for this OBR Newswire podcast. We will have a film breakdown podcast that comes out on that OBR feed uh, probably tomorrow that will be in detail about the rest of the division and looking at how their draft shook out. And then we will cover Nick Harris in that, uh, in that film room podcast as well. So keep your eye out for that. Thanks for joining us. Until we chat next time, go Browns.